you know, the dream of home ownership doesn't have to be something that you can only dream of. I hear restaurant employees and workers say, I can't buy a home because I work on tips or I only worked in this job for six months. Those things are myths. And John Ho is here to help you figure those out. If you don't think you can buy a home, what does it hurt to call a realtor? They have a partnership with Foundation Mortgage and Amanda Gardner that can help you get pre-qualified and he can help you find the house. His Instagram is at Hospitality. He is a restaurant guy. This is his industry, and he wants to help you find your dream home. So if you are out there and you want to buy a home, you can do it. I believe in you. You need to believe in you. You need to call John Ho with Village Real Estate right now. His number is 615-483-0315. Amanda Gardner with Foundation Mortgage is 865-230-1031, and they specialize in restaurant workers. So give them a call right now. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. We are powered by Gordon Food Service, and today is a fun episode where we are doing Brandon's Book Club. What is Brandon's Book Club? It is a monthly book club where we are reading books on leadership. We're reading all kinds of just books that I'm reading and I read with my leadership team and then I'm sharing it with the rest of you. So anybody out there who wants to read a book with us at the end of the month, we bring in either the author or a panel of people who read the book and we just talk about it. So it's a good way for you to be held accountable if you want to read more books to jump in and read with us. This month was an amazing, amazing month. This is one of those things that I I feel so super honored to do this and I feel crazy that I get to have this conversation today. Today, we're talking with Dr. Alex Jahangir. Dr. Alex uh, Jahangir is an orthopedic surgeon at Vanderbilt Medical Center, and he was the chief of the, he was the lead on the COVID task force throughout COVID-19. So he wrote a book and is called Hotspot, A Doctor's Diary Through the Pandemic. And these are his notes every single day for an entire year from March 7th, I think, to March 8th, 2020 to 2021. And he chronicles the entire experience that he did leading our city through this pandemic. And I've often said on this podcast, we found the true leaders throughout 2020, 2021, the people who made it, who thought outside the box. There's not a book that was written on how to lead during a pandemic. And he kind of wrote one. I mean, this was just his experience throughout it, but the level of leadership that this guy has was out of control. And the fact that he said he would come in studio and talk to us about his book was absolutely amazing. And it's kind of surreal for me to sit with this amazing guy, uh, Dr. Alex Jahangir. And so I'm excited to bring this episode to you. Uh, Stephen Smithing, who owns both of the restaurants work at Green Hills Grill and Maribel, joined us for this interview because he was interested in this too. And 
Hey, the more the merrier. We put these out. If you go to Facebook, you can join our group, Brandon's Book Club. And there I post the next book. There's a live stream. When we do it live, you can join the podcast. We'd love for you to join and put in your two cents as well. Anybody is welcome. It is free to join. And uh, if you need help buying the book, I usually will buy the book for you. So there it is. There's no excuse for you not to join. It's something that's super fun. And you're not. I'm not going to call you and make sure that you read the book. But if you want to join us, you're welcome to. So there's not a whole lot of accountability to it. But if you want to start reading more books, here is your chance. So that brings us up to next month. Let me tell you about it. This book is called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success. This book is an amazing book. I've already started reading it, and there's 15 conscious commitments, uh, 15 conscious commitments of conscious leadership. And it talks about leading above the line and below the line and how you can take ownership and leadership and some of the things you can do to be more engaged with your staff. And it's, it's fantastic. And I'm super excited to bring this book to you. The special side here, the thing that we're going to be doing with this book is we have enlisted a woman named Deborah Sunderland. She's the CEO and founder of Sunderland Coaching, and she's going to come in and help us through this book to help us learn some of the details of the book. And this is going to be a two-parter so we're going to bring her in and we're going to talk about the first side of the book, which is leading above the line and below the line. And then we're going to have another session where we talk about the other 13 commitments of conscious leadership. So this is going to be a two-parter when we actually have a coach coming in to help us with this one. This one's going to be a lot of fun. I would love if you're a leader in this industry, if you're a server, anybody who wants to be in leadership, this is something that's going to help you going forward. And I'm really excited to facilitate this for all of you. So please go to Facebook, join the Brandon's book club, and you'll see the information when we're going to do live stream. Keep it locked into National Restaurant Radio as we are going to continue to give you more information about this. I'm just really excited to bring this book to you. Hopefully it'll help you. Hopefully it'll help me and uh, something we can all learn together. So with that being said, uh, let's jump in right now with Dr. Alex Jahangir and Brandon's Book Club. All right, well, we are live uh, with Brandon's Book Club, and we are super excited. Since we're on a time frame, you have have a hard out at 10, right? Yeah. Okay, so we have one hour, and I have six hours worth of stuff to cover. So we're going to (laughs) jump right in. Um, Man, thank you for being here. I want to give some context as to how we made this happen. You were dining at the Green Hills Grill with your three lovely children and your wife, and I didn't quite recognize you. And it's funny because after reading the book, I realized this has happened to you before, and it turned out really badly, (laughs) where we were having a conversation, just talking about life, and your kids were playing Battleship at the table, and I just got that same Battleship game for my kids. It, It was just such a wholesome family dinner that was happening. And then I think one of your daughters needed more ketchup, so I went to the bathroom to get more ketchup, and I came back, and I went, "Are you look familiar. Like, are you the doctor that was on TV, like, every day? And you said, yes. And your wife kind of, like, looked down, and she was like, please, like, don't do anything to our food. Yeah. And I was like, that's the last thing in the world that I would do. No, we don't do that. No. Uh, <laughs> welcome also Stephen Smithings here with us, too, our our. Brandon's book club every every month. Stephen joins us. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but I, I I've always had such an amazing reverence for you for being a leader because 
when we went through this whole COVID thing, as we all did, every single person in this world went through it together, we were operating a business. And one of the things that I, I said was, this guy is up every, if you want to know who a true leader is, nobody's led through a pandemic. Nobody knows what to do. But this guy, this doctor is an orthopedic surgeon and he's leading our city through COVID every single day. Like, man, that is leadership. That is that is absolute leadership doing the best thing when half the world is telling you you suck and half the world is is right behind you like how do you every day do it i said alex patrick lencioni hasn't written a book called how to lead through a pandemic and you said well i did i wrote a book about it and i would have got a book club i'd love to do that so that's the setup for why we're here today for brandon's book club hotspot a diary a doctor's diary of the pandemic so thanks for doing this. Well, thank you. And and I very much knew you guys never did that because I had the opportunity to dine uh, many of times during the pandemic in Green Hills Grill. But no, thank you. This was this is really neat. And, and I think the the organic nature of how it came about was really exciting for me as well. It is so much fun. And I, I want to jump right into the book yeah. because whew, I, I, I don't even know where to start. I think that the place I want to start is kind of how you got in this position. I have a couple of audio clips that I've pulled, and this is one from the very beginning. With the mayor's office. The mayor's office called to offer me the position of director of the coronavirus response. The days after the March 8th press conference were a whirlwind. I was running on two things, instinct and adrenaline. There was no template. On March 12th, in the surest sign yet that America's core was shaken by the implications of COVID's arrival, the SEC canceled its NCAA March Madness tournament games in Nashville. The NBA and NHL canceled the remainder of their seasons as well. So that was the moment. That was like the day I started this podcast. March 14th was the day. And this this book is a is a diary from March 7th or March 8th, which is my birthday, March oh. 8th. Uh, March 7th, March 8th through March 7th, 2021. It's like the whole year of 2020. Yeah. But you'd, you'd been in, you were, you, what position were you holding in the Metro Health Department at that time? Yeah, so I, um, in, so I had joined the Metro, the Metro Rollin Board of Health, who, again, who the hell knew we even have a Board of Health? Let's just be honest. Like, myself <laughs> included, when I got the call from um, the mayor's office in 2017 to just be a member of the Board of Health. It's a six-person board. Um, you meet once a month, and you talk about things like animal control, and you, know, you get a lot of reports and, and things like that. It actually, historically, Metro Health and Metro Board of Health was the first joint Metro city and county um, thing. So that's how Metro government came together was at health. So I was going to be, as you said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. So let's just put the elf in the room. Like, what the heck is an orthopedic surgeon doing on anything public health? So I, I recognized that going in. And so I was just going to be the quiet guy in the corner, you know, good government table, the U-shaped table. I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. But... Life happens, and in October of 2019, um, we needed to go through our what was going to be our third director search in two years, and um, the board felt like, you know what, let's put a new chair in place, somebody who's led executive searches, which I had, and that's how I became chair, for, with the plan of one year, hiring a new director, and maybe changing some metro bylaws around health because they hadn't been updated in 60 years, and we were successful. We hired a director to start on March 9th, 2020. And it just happened that the very first person in Nashville tested positive is March 7th, 2020 on a Saturday night. 
And the mayor's office wanted to throw a press conference on that Sunday. And Mayor Cooper at the time, I had never met. I didn't know anyone really in his office. Um, and so, but I was the, I guess, by by the org chart, the most senior person in a public health role in the city at that time. It was a volunteer role. And they called me to come up to this press conference on March 8th. And that is really my how I got into this thinking that press conference is going to be the end of it. And obviously it, it wasn't. That's just the beginning. No, I don't. You know. It, You're going to wait? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait. Clearly, <laughs> you know, when you came into the Board of Health, obviously not knowing really what happened, and, and then as your role grew exponentially very quickly, wh- what were some things? Like, tell us a couple things that 60 years of not being updated actually actually were. Were there any sig- really super significant things that you're like, oh, that needs to change today? Um. Yeah, so in, in short, um, you know, public health, the, the, not to bore this, the listenership of the public health history, but public health, um, the thinking of public health has evolved over actually past 60, 70 years. Um, when the public health department started in Nashville in, in um, 1963 or, um, or whenever, yeah, 63, it was more of a health delivery place. It's like a safety net, right? So you had your clinics. Um, you needed to get, it was just different, right? We, Medicare hadn't even really even been mm-hmm. started. Like it was very different. Um, public health today really involves community health workers, involves mental health professionals. We oversee the, um, the animal control. So we need to have people who have expertise in animal control on the board. We need to be able to think um, about that, um, not, not a pandemic, sure, but what about our pandemic or, or epidemic with drug overdoses, mental health? Public health today involves such a larger um, entity than what it was in the 60s. So things like that um, we recognize need to be changed, and you need to change those structurally. And that's really what I was hoping to do besides hire a new director. And then the director we hired actually um, had experience in those larger things, and that was one of the appeals to have hired him initially. You're really excited about hiring him. Without a doubt. You're like, hey, this guy's going to be great. Harvard-educated, had all kinds Came of history. Came down from New York, ran a health department for 20 years. That was about 70% the size of this place. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's crazy. So I thought your line later in the book when you know Harvard being from Harvard was a negative. Yeah, you're like a place that only visited. You're like, why I didn't actually go to school there? But I, you know, it's a fine place to be. At the very end of the book, he does an epilogue where he kind of goes through it and says, "This is what's happened since the actual my book ended," and he talks about going to eat at a bar downtown. You went to to a bar downtown to have a beer, and the bar owner kind of came up to you and said. Hey, aren't you that doctor? Which is when I said, I've realized yeah. you've heard that before. When I said that at the table, I was coming from a place of love and respect. Right. And I think this guy was not. Definitely, he was coming definitely from, was not. Uh, and I loved my, my favorite line, I think, in the whole book was where he said, you're from Harvard. And he said that that guy had been lawsuits and he was a child in his business, which he inherited. I love the which he inherited. It was just the little the little poke. I was like, oh, there it is. There's the line. <laughs> It was pretty fun. Fair enough. Almost as bad as being a legacy in Harvard. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it happens, right? That's, I'm, how, I'm, that's I'm, how life is. Yeah, nonetheless. So let's go back to my next yeah. clip here. Why you to do this? And this is where I'm going to get some of the leadership. Other important players I could think of. I shared the plan with the mayor's office. The next day, Thursday, as I was leaving Kate's piano recital, I received a call from one of the mayor's senior staff members. She told me Mayor Cooper wanted to form a coronavirus task force and wanted me to chair it. In the months to come, people unhappy with the decisions of the task force would question Mayor Cooper's decision to appoint me, an orthopedic surgeon, as its leader. 
But in a moment of unprecedented crisis, his request was a practical and expedient one. I was the chair of the Public Health Department board and had been serving on that body long enough to have a detailed knowledge of the workings of the department that would be responsible for addressing all aspects of the pandemic. I also thoroughly understood the board's responsibilities relative to both the mayor's office and the Metro Council. My unique value as the task force leader, which the mayor's office and the health department understood, was that I was already up to speed on the machinations of Metro government relative to the department most crucial to managing a pandemic. And as a Nashvillian of long standing, I had developed a strong network among leaders from across the city and could bring them together quickly. Still, I will admit that I was overwhelmed by the request. So there it is. There, there's a, this is kind of why I felt uniquely qualified. And some of it was political. Like I understood the workings of this. I can get things done. But in those first moments, you put together a plan yeah, without being asked. Yeah. Like just, this is what we need to do. What, where did that come from? Well, you know, I think we all, um, to several places, I think we all, um, when there's, there's moments of pressure, tension in all of our lives, you, you're, we handle things in certain ways. And for me, it's always, you know, the planner, right? Um, sometimes we ask in a marriage, that's usually not a good idea, by the way, in case we're not talking about marital advice, but <laughs> you shouldn't always try to solve the problem right away. You know, that's never what goes Sometimes well. the listening is what you that, get. That's down. right. But in this scenario, in all sincerity, um, that's how way I cope with it. I'm like, you know, there's this, there's this crisis. It's not like we didn't see this happening. We saw, we saw it happening in Italy, China, Iran, where I'm from. Um, had some early COVID stuff. And so I, I literally sat down. I sat down um, in Avo, which I had not been to since that day until just of two days ago, by the way. And I told the waitress that. I said, you know, last time I sat in your restaurant, they've changed locations now. I said, last time I sat here, I sketched this thing out. And I, have, I still have a copy of it. And I have a box of all these cool memory. And that handwritten sketch is, is still there. Um, and I bring that up because, like, that's I was like, all right, what what do we need to do to address this? And and I and I would, you know, I called people I knew. I'm like, like, you've had experience, like, no one who is currently in government, but people who have historically or know the city really well. And I wrote all this down because, again, I felt that as chair of the board of health and the new director, the guy had just moved here from New York, like he didn't know all the stuff. So I was I did all this really initially to help him and and the mayor. You know, the other part of it is. Um, you know, people, as I sort of alluded to or stated in that, um, in that segment you just played, like people said, what the heck's an orthopedic surgeon doing doing this? But what I'd like to highlight is my specialty in orthopedics is trauma. So I'm a trauma surgeon. Like, only, that's my, my what I do. High intensity, yeah, pressure. High intensity, not knowing what's happening, um, being able to make quick decisions um, with limited information and being comfortable and maybe arrogant enough to move forward with them, but also recognizing that, hey, sometimes when a decision quickly um, you're recognizing that what you did isn't going the right way and you got to change course fast and be comfortable doing that. But also recognizing that you are part of a bigger team. Yes, you may have the title, you may be the surgeon, you may be, um, your name may be on the board or in this case, I may be at every press conference, but recognizing there are subject matter experts who you need to consult immediately to help you with things. So in surgery, I may be operating on a pelvis and all of a sudden the bladder is ruptured. I'm not going to fix the bladder. I'm going to immediately recognize the bladder's ruptured, call the urologist to come fix it, or a vessel that's bleeding, call the vascular surgeon. In the pandemic, I approached every day as such. We had limited information all the time. It was evolving in real time. I'd make decisions to the best of my ability, usually with a group of people. 
and if things and if we didn't know something, we'd call an expert in for that time frame. That's what the task force idea is is really was that like who do we need at this moment to talk about? You know, when we talked about businesses, we brought in business leaders, and we talked about um, minority health, we brought in experts in that area. Um, and I think me being a trauma surgeon and having and having the skills I developed over the years with that, I think also really helped me be successful in in this role. And while it was collaborative, as you as you kind of explained, you know, if there's a, a bladder, you got to get that person. It also, I think, gives you the ability, though, to know that you can make a decision quickly in what you believe is best for the patient, or in this case, what's best for the city. We don't have to spend three days or three months in committee deciding something. Yeah. It, it really, some individual who has responsibility can decide. Yeah, you know, can I give you an interesting, like, leadership development skill for me that happened during this pandemic early on? We're going to answer that question right after these words from our sponsors. We are so excited to welcome a new sponsor to Nashville Restaurant Radio, Volunteer Welding Gas and Supply. Volunteer Welding Beverage Carbonation began serving bulk CO2 and beverages systems in 1976. They're a service-oriented company that is passionate about and dedicated to beverage-only gases. How does a gas company provide service? Well, you either know or you don't know until it's too late. And they use telemetry to monitor your system. Let's say that you're in the middle of a busy lunch and then you realize, hey, there's no carbonation in our Coke. This is a problem. What do you do? You call an 800 number, be put on hold to be told that maybe sometime in the next 24 hours, somebody will get out to you. Well, that's where the telemetry works. Volunteer welding is monitoring your tank for that. If it gets low or there's a leak, they're gonna let you know beforehand. Imagine that call before lunch, so you never have an 86 situation when you definitely don't need that. Wanna learn more? Give David Perry a call at 615-306-7455 or email him at dperry at volunteerwelding.com. Hey guys, we are supported by Sharpie's Bakery and we've been supported by Sharpie's Bakery for the last year. And I tell you, I couldn't be more proud of this partnership. Guys, they're a locally owned and operated bakery right here in Nashville for the last 36 years. Yes, they deliver fresh baked bread daily to your restaurant's back door. And man, is it good. You want to know what kind of bread they make? Go check them out at sharpiesbakery.com. That's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S bakery.com. Come. So they have over 200 types of bread. And if you're wondering, well, hey, look, it's a special recipe that I like to use that, you know, we bake it in our house and it's just, it's a kind of a pain, but we, we like to do it. They can take your recipe and make that bread for you without any of the hassle, the mess, the labor. They'll just deliver it right to your door every single day. It is freshly baked. They love to give you a tour of their facility. Give Erin Moso a call. Her number is 615-319-6453. You should do it now. We are supported by Robbins Insurance, a local insurance agency providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins Insurance is the go-to agency for hospitality professionals in Nashville. Listen, Robbins knows how hard industry professionals work every single day. They also know how devastating accidents can be. Be it a grease fire that damages the kitchen, a severe storm that cuts off power, or a customer slip and fall incident. Both the extensive experience and the savvy to create a policy that protects your business from accidents like those, you can rest easy knowing that the work you've put in will not be for nothing. 
Visit Robin's website at robinsins.com to request a consultation or call Matthew Clements directly. His number is 863-409-9372. Protection you can trust. That's Robin's. Yeah, you know, can I give you an interesting like leadership development skill for me that happened during this pandemic early on? The um, one of the first meetings we had as a group of people, we we realized that we needed to set up testing sites pretty quickly because we knew um, everyone, first of all, who had a sniffle would get anxious, rightfully so, and it rushed to the ER and it would clog our ERs um, and then prevent people who having heart attacks and all these other things that happened, you know, besides COVID from going to the ER. So. We knew we needed to set up testing sites, which we ended up doing, as you guys know, all over the city, sure. testing 400,000 um, people for free. Um, but we needed to set up, there was no process to how to do this. And so we brought in experts from all the different hospitals because the hospital systems were starting to think through it. And I ran the very first meeting of that, like I ran in a um, hospital meeting. And if, a hospital meeting, I don't, I don't know your industry, but hospital meetings are the worst when it comes to what you're talking about bureaucracy. Everyone, there's a million points of veto. Everyone has to be heard. Nothing ever gets decided forever. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. And it, that sounds awesome. In, in individually owned businesses, that's not the case. Yeah, I, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and no. that's right. And that's and, and I think that was a really, and I remember, and I, again, I didn't know Mary Cooper. He happened to be in the back of that room during that first meeting. And he pulls me aside and he's like, what the hell was that? And I mean, I was, I was taken back. I'm like, I mean, I don't, I, I, what do you mean that was, that was a great meeting. We, we did what <laughs> hospital meetings do. And he was like, no, he's like, this is not, this is a different, like he, he really, I mean, it was actually a really great mentorship moment for me. He was like, this is a, you got to make decisions quickly. You got to give people responsibility. You, you have to trust they're going to do what they're going to do. And you can follow up with them immediately within the whatever time frame. And if they can't get the job, then you got to find someone else to do that. And, and that was, while it makes sense when I'm sitting here talking about it at the moment, that was a really aha moment for me. And from that moment on, and now subsequently, as I've come back to hospital meetings, I work in a different manner in which, you know, you bring in a gr- group of people who you trust on the bus and using, using, um, you know, Jim Collins. Jim Collins. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> gr- good to great terms, which by the way, all those businesses have gone out of business. I don't know if you've Go back and read and it. Eckert Circuit those, City. Yeah, yeah. All um, those anyway, it, it is. A, but the principles are <laughs> the principles are good. But you bring the right people on, and then you give them um, the vision and the task you need, and then you empower them to make those decisions within a time frame. If they don't do it, then then you can you go on. But anyway, I just tell that to you is to say um, I evolved very quickly in my way of managing things because this was a big group, and we were doing a crisis rather than. Three three months strategic planning and and all that. So, yeah, yeah. Crisis needs later. Yeah. Well, I, in our world, I mean, that day Stephen was going to Mexico with his family on the like the thirteenth, twelfth or thirteenth. I think you left. I left the no. I left the day that they canceled. Well, when I got to Mexico, they had canceled the NBA season. Oh, so man. then I knew it was on. So and, that and they last canceled thing, the tournament, and, and he was gone for like ten days. I voted and, to stay longer. I got outvoted. Yeah. He's like, well, let's just stay here. Well, I remember that next morning or that they, they landed and I called them and I go, we need to talk like this just got very serious and we need to have a plan. And I started putting together that plan immediately. And as they kind of settled in and got to their, their place, they were staying. I had both him and his wife on a call and I said, what's going to be our plan? And I, I kind of went through what I think we should do. And then they pow out and his wife came back with, we need to do, we have four things we have to do. It's four things we've got to do every day. One is 
we love our community. We've got to take care of the people within our building. Safety first, we've got to do that. Number two was we're going to follow any protocols that the government tells us we need to do. We want to follow, we want to be, we want to do the right thing is another one of our core values to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing from the professionals and doctors that are telling us to do, we need to do that. And then I think number three was maintain any level of sales that we can. Yeah. We want to take, make care if we can Have sell, business. if we can keep any business we possibly can. But those were the three guide points we came up with like that day that led us through the entire pandemic. I mean, we literally every day we were in Mexico. Every single morning, morning meeting, we had every a meeting. Morning and but it was kind it. of that similar, nobody else is going to just step up and do it. Right. You've got to step up and do it. And we created this plan and it worked for, I mean, take care of our people, do what, do what you guys are saying to do. But on your end, having to tell businesses, I mean, in the book, you chronicle going through each day in day out, then there's inevitabilities that happen. And it wasn't political for you. It wasn't motivated by money. It wasn't motivated by business. Your singular motivation was to save lives. Am I right? Yes, that that's right. Um, but also, I think the, the whole point of the task force is to really balance um, all the issues that evolve. So they, the first many weeks, months, yes. But you also start recognizing that saving lives also means how people's livelihood, people's, like, so those issues really did start coming to the forefront um, and not in a short, short, like relatively quick, quick as well, because, yeah. because I think, um, and I, I talk about in the book when we met with the um, hotel CEOs, CEOs of the hospital, yeah, some of the hotels, the health department was very much like, this is what we need to do for best health practices. These, ho these hotel CEOs, the local hotel CEOs were being told by corporate. And this was in September um, that if, if you don't have a plan for next quarter, we're just going to shut it down. And and they already had, you know, a lot of people in the hospitality industry, as you all know, were already laid off and hurting. This meant that even more, and then that startup would be much more difficult. And so how, balancing that, um, you know, if you look at purely from yeah, a business standpoint, yeah, but what was very evident to me is those hotel CEOs, irrespective of the size of the hotel, like, there's a just like you all fundamentally cared about the people working for them and they knew the implications of of shutting down business like that from the corporate level would be devastating and it would be devastating for the city it would be devastating for people's livelihood mental health i mean there's so much and and so we did start, as a as a task force um we really did start thinking about the balance of the entire implication of every decision but yes early on especially is how do we keep people alive the very first um i think first week or so we had a a report from, I believe it was Emory, 3,000 Nashvillians were uh, projected to die in the first few months. Wow. And and I remember sitting in the mayor's um, conference room, and it's a little bigger than this table, and I, I looked at him, I was like, this, this is like this is not just hearsay. This is the science that all these other cities are following. And that was really, I mean, that, that was pretty insane to think about. 3,000 Nashvillians within a few few months. And we've lost, guys have lost track of the number less than 2,000 over the past many years, which still sucks. It's 2,000 people, but it wasn't 3,000 the first few months. So you, so that's a big testament to what you guys were able to accomplish. Well, and part of the decision-making process there, you're kind of rolling it back, was when, when you all were making these decisions, the government yet had not 
come to you know, say this is the aid we're going to give. That's right. Nobody knew. Individuals who were laid off didn't know. They knew they were going to get unemployment. They didn't know what else they were going to get. Businesses, I mean, I looked at my bank account, and due to the cyclical uh, nature of the restaurant business, I owed my vendors more money than I had in the bank. I didn't, you know, when you lay off 140 people, it's somewhat humbling. And then you look at your bank account, and you don't have enough money to cover the bills. You're like, oh my, what are we going to do? So we had to all plan on that end. And the government did come around relatively quickly and say, this is how we're going to structure some things. But there was a no man's land there for a while that nobody, yeah. nobody knew. And to lead through that and to live through that on our end, you just have to trust that people are doing the right thing. Yeah. And we're trusting that you are out there making those decisions. How tough was that balance? I mean, all the pressure from all sides. And you talk about being a father of three daughters and not going to school and the school board. I mean, we're not talking about just businesses. We're talking about businesses. We're talking about school. We're talking about the hospital. Do we have room? And then then you throw national politics in the middle of all of this, which shouldn't really have come into the play at all because we're one nation. But then all of a sudden politics come in this. And then you're also a husband and a dad. Like, how did you balance all of that? You know, I think for... For me and for most um, people are honest about how they lead, um, you, you recognize, like, what is the North Star that you're you're going to always – and you guys mentioned your four things early on was the four things you that you always – every decision was based on that. For me, uh, before the pandemic and, and now, I mean, I always balance um, – it's my family, my patients, and everything else. So any opportunity or any decisions I ever have to make, um, I think of it in that order. Um, just my – that's my life. When it came to the pandemic, I will, I will say the family part went um, to to essentially second. I mean, it was it was the city, the, the pandemic, um, but within the pandemic response thing, it was are the decisions we're making today um, are they are they going to make potentially keep the most people alive and keep the city as successful as it can? Um, and if the answer is yes. Then, then the decision was to do it, and and irrespective of what happens, you know, three weeks later when the when the information changes, if at the moment what we did was based on that north star of is this the best thing for the people of Nashville for their life and 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 just stability in general, then the, then we would do it. And if something shows us that hey, um, and you have to have the courage of of your conviction with that north star, assuming. And and the, the the other thing, there's three three fine tuning that there was, are we leading with science? Are we being honest with people? And are we lead, letting experts guide us? That was the more detailed north star. And if if we do those three things, every decision, I I felt comfortable that you know I, I never had problems sleeping at night because I never felt like those three things wouldn't happen. Now, things evolve, and we and we amended things as needed. But again, science. Um, science experts and being always honest and transparent with um the people of nashville like that was like that was it like i i hope that there's never anything anyone could ever find that i said that that wasn't that um at, at the time i thought it was amazing when you went to do the mask mandate and i forget the guy's name what's the guy's name dr starts the c caldwell caldwell dr caldwell we need to do a mask mandate. Do you see the spread? It's imminent. This is going on. We need to do a mask mandate because we're going into a holiday and this is a whole whole deal. And he said, no. He said, I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of the backlash of it. It wasn't a, it won't help. No, he, he agreed. No, this would help. 
but I'm not going to make that call because I'm afraid of the backlash. And then you went and pulled an emergency meeting, city council, everybody together, and you forced his hand to do that. And then he was like, oh, well, if you're going to force me to do it, then I'll do it because then I'm not copable for it. Then I'm, then nobody's going to come back on me because it's you. Is that like, I, that was like the largest absence of leadership example I think I've ever heard of somebody going, well, I don't want to own that. I mean, I know that's what we need to do, but I don't want to hear the backlash of it. I, if you make me, I'll do it. What was that experience like for you to lead? I mean, to- it was, it was flabbergasting. I mean, I, you know, the thing with Dr. Caldwell, he actually was one of the first people I knew to wear a mask, by the way. He wore a mask a lot, before, a lot sooner than I did. I mean, he's a public health expert. I mean, the very he, smart he knows. Um, physician, public health leader. It was hard, but again, it, it goes back to what are the experts telling us? What What's the science? And um, are we being honest with people? And and to your point earlier, we weren't getting good direction and mixed messages from, from state and federal, you know. And the state, by the way, was a really good partner to us for a lot of the pandemic. I think a lot of people try to put state city um i think that that actually the relationship was was pretty good for most of it um but there was no direction right from from higher up and so the science and and everything was telling us that that mask at that point it was the only tool we had and a lot of actually businesses wanted again what i've learned through this process and I'm, I'm a very i was a biology major who went straight to med school like i'm a i'm an academic medicine like dude Right. Yeah. I don't know anything about businesses and so forth. But what I loved and I've learned of this is there are a lot of really great businesses here who put their their workers and their employees as number one. And a lot of businesses are telling us, look, we want to do this because we want our employees to feel safe. But we feel really it's really hard for us to to put a put a mask on sign in the front of our door, knowing that people may go to another store because that doesn't require. It. So part of that mask stuff was also that right. People are like. Give, give us cover to be able to do this. Uh, that was a, so the science was saying, do it. You had the, most of the business community saying, please do it so that, so that you guys can, can we be can the say bad we're guy. We can need you to <laughs> do yeah. this. And yeah. I think that's very fair. That's a, again, but they weren't, they were doing it because they wanted to protect their employees and their customers. I mean, I respect that so much. Um, but, and that was leadership on their part. They knew that they, that's, and so that was, so the onus is on us to, to, how do we help the people of Nashville succeed in helping also involves businesses. And, and that was, it, it was a, what you, what you mentioned is, is yes, it was a, um, the buck can't be passed when you're the person who can implement the change. And, and if, if again, you're following that North star, those hard decisions need to be made irrespective of the fallout and irrespective of the heat you get. Um, especially when you know you had coverage from, from all the experts, but also your bosses, the mayor, the, council um all the political coverage also was already there so that that was kind of surprising to me so you weren't trying to control people no you weren't trying to mind control all of the sheep out there and make them wear masks because you had an ulterior motive no i i, I mean also i mean, <laughs> I mean i'm just saying i like, know i i hear this narrative you. is crazy well I, yeah i i said nobody nobody i mean all of us i mean this in all sincerity like None of us like dealing with this thing. Like we all want to be done with it. <laughs> Nobody wants we to very wear much a, so, yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to wear a mask. Nobody wants to wear a mask. But, but here's the thing, you talk about let's talk about results, right? I mean, at the end of the day, really successful leaders also follow data and results. When you look at pure mortality of of our response, the city had a zero point seven percent mortality rate. So 
Of all the people that got it, 0.7% died. The United States had a 1% mortality rate. The state of Tennessee had a 1.3% mortality rate. So if you look at purely at that data point, if you look at our economic recovery, if you look at um, the number of free tests we provided, if you look at the equity when it came around vaccinations, um, so percentage of like we had a lot of successful results um, that that I I think at the end show what we did um, was was the was as right as one could get at that um, given everything we knew at the real time. That's a I this is I love this because this is like straight. There's you hear all these different people's theories about everything, and then my my whole assumption going through this entire pandemic was i trust that you're making the right decisions and i'm going to follow what you're saying that that was what i went through and i got yeah. called names well you're just doing what the government like no i trust that this guy has my best they're not trying to do this and it's nice to hear directly from you that no i'm a very educated guy and this is my decision making process and my goal was to make sure that my city got through this and avoid deaths and that's what it was i i want to pivot because you mentioned and this. in the end the data plays it out yeah 100 percent. uh you mentioned the state and how the perception might be this that you guys worked really well together i'm going to talk about the worst day of your life if it's still the worst day of your life i don't know uh, in the book, you said the worst day of your life was January the 31st, 2020. You were the chief of staff at Vanderbilt Medical Center. December 31st. December, December 31st. The, the, yeah. the pandemic January. hadn't started oh, January. December 31st, 2020. That's right. right. The New Year's Eve, 2020. New Year's Eve, 2020, going 21. Tell me about that day. Yeah, so, you know, it's this, this day of, um, it's kind of a, Interesting day. So every, I, I've, you know, I have young kids, and so I've stopped going out on New Year's Eve usually. Um, and so um, the chief of staff role at, at the hospital is the person who is the person on call who who's administratively the most senior medical person. And um, hospitals, um, when they want smaller hospitals, want to transfer patients in, um, they they call us, and then if we try, if we can get them in, great. And if there's if it's a little challenge, then the the, the hierarchy call ends up calling. The chief of staff say, "Hey, can we make this work somehow? Can we move person A to this bed?" And so a lot of just moving stuff around operations. On that day, it started out, and we I had just gotten my vaccine, right? So I was in a right, cloud, cloud, but on that day, um, and usually New Year's Eve, just you expect to get busy, but traumas and other things. But we started getting calls early from from the regional, smaller regional hospitals, saying, "Hey, we don't have beds. We're having this patient." Um, and we were able to navigate that a little bit, but then we started getting calls from other places around the state and in other states around us, and then even a further out to like Virginia and other places that there were no more hospital beds around in in a huge region of our country. And at a certain point, and it wasn't just Vanderbilt, right? I mean, I know the TriStar system and the Ascension system, St. Thomas system, we're all going through the same thing at the same time because we talk a lot amongst each other because. The hospital systems are committed to making sure the people who we serve stay alive, right? But you're typically competitors. We're competitors but in a lot of aspects, but but when it comes to, like, especially in these moments of, like, hey, this guy's having a heart attack in, in Grundy County. We don't have a bed. Do you have a cardiac bed? Like, we will, like, at the staff level, they'll call each hospital system, the big three, and make it work. Well, we realized we were, we weren't, no matter what, what we had in our things, at a certain point, you just don't have enough beds. You don't have enough staff, um, 
and we hit that point. And and it was it was very evident. And, and in our obligation at a certain point is to say, all right, we can't help anymore. Like we can help the people we have here, but, but you I'm, have. I'm sorry. You had a resource, right? I mean, you had, was it Music City Center that was ready to go? Was there well, another area that was ready to go? Well, fortunately, you know, it's, it's, it's Music City Center is still such a wild moment. We initially started building out Music City Center. I still remember, I actually went to an event there recently, and I was with the fire chief. Um, and I was like, do you remember when we were touring this place, and, like, we were going to put cots here, and now you and I are eating, like, I don't know, creme brulee here? <laughs> um but the Music City Center, thank goodness, ended up really quickly. They they had they were welding and they stopped. Um, Harry Medical, I'm sorry, um, Nashville General had a two two floors that they had ended up building out. The federal government did. Uh, we ended up not like it was amazing. I went on the tour. They had like the beds, they had toothbrushes, they had everything teed up to go, um, and we ended up never using using that. Um, but it, it was it was hard because you knew when when I s- said I can't help this person with. Um, you know, their bowels had died or their, it wasn't all COVID, right? It was everything else that happens that, 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 that probably means that that person wasn't going to get help at these other places either. And then if they were going to get help, it was going to take a long time to get them to that hospital because it's going to be further away. And that sucks. I mean, you're making was, decisions on people's lives that you have, you can't make really make you, a, It's not really and, a decision you're making, but you're having to tell people, I'm sorry, I can't help. That's that's right because you, you want to help the people who you're serving at your facility uh, who'd gotten there from yeah so yeah that's all right it's, it was really hard it sucked it still sucks mm. and then two days later you have our governor go make a big press conference saying well, look how great we're doing we don't even need these extra beds I don't know if it was two days later was it like- um, but it, it was I mean I think and this is a point where I think it's it's a because um, I again I have great relationships with a lot of the, um, the, the, the governor staff and, and so forth. I mean, I think it was a per- perception of, you know, from their perspective, it was hard to get staffing um, to staff these facilities. Sure. Um, and, and, and so, I don't know, we can get into semantics, but the, the, the fact was at the end of the day, there were, I think, 100 beds that were in Nashville and several hundred in Memphis that were never used. Um, and, and, you know, that, that that's... I mean, that's that sucked for some people. Maybe it was good, depending on your perspective. But um, anyway, I, but they never were open. The facts are they were never open, and whether they weren't open for whatever reasons is is you know I, I think that's an area of debate we could have. But they weren't open, and they were ready, and and they were set. But um, but what it did, and this is where again around the topic of this of leadership, is the three hospital systems. Um, so Ascension, St. Thomas. HCA, TriStar, and Vanderbilt, the three big systems in our region, said we can't we can't ever have this again. And to your point earlier, is is nobody's coming here to help us. We got to figure this out on our own. So they they and 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 I helped facilitate this, but their leaders came together and huge competitors said we need to come up with a process. The next time there is this much of a bed crunch, that we will make sure nobody in our region, and we define region literally by um, by longitude. In latitude, like, like seriously, like that's how we define a region. Um, people who are in these hospitals that weren't affiliated with one of the big systems, if they called, they could get their patients transferred in, and we would coordinate. So we knew we had a really good system, and if we overloaded, every system would get overloaded equally. And it took some, it took some real courage on the leaders of these parts because there was, there was, there's some 
anxiety around legal implications. We were able to do it with the governor's support. The governor gave us some political cover and some legal cover through his emergency order. And we set up what was called the Regional Transfer Center, Coordinated Transfer Center, um, which we didn't have to implement until the Delta wave in the summer. And over 700 people in Middle Tennessee in three months were able to be transferred and kept here in Middle Tennessee, um, who otherwise may have not had a bed, may have been transferred hundreds of miles away. And then the, the physicians and nurses taking care of those people in these smaller hospitals only had to make two calls versus 15 calls to find a place, which then gives them the freedom to go take care of the people in their small hospital. So really a big deal. Um, no one else in the country did it. That's amazing. That's, again, the leadership behind this is, is incredible. Stephen, what do you got? You got well, in the planning, I think, to, to actually know that that's what you need to do and how are we going to get this done in the future or in the present? Yeah. Did you have any questions reading the book? What were your thoughts on... Not, not, a, not at the moment, no, that I can... <laughs> it's funny because I had one, but I'll think about it here in a sec. Well, I think that there's there's a lot of it was political. I mean, the, this, the way the book reads is um, you're doing everything you possibly can. The federal government was not. They were almost going against what you're saying. Is that am I am I paraphrasing? Well, I don't well, I don't want to get into a big political discussion. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. But I mean, the facts are facts on what you experienced. Well, I think I think um, one of the greatest failures of this response um, was at the federal level, and that I, I that's not just my belief. I think a lot of people's belief. I think we that's shown been demonstrated. Um, I think um, in moments of crises, um, people rely on their leaders. And, and leaders by society are usually political leaders, the president of the United States. I, mean, I remember September 11th, all of us, irrespective of, of politics, what President Bush was saying, what he was doing, really impacted all of us. And, and I think that that's an example of, of leadership. And another challenger explosion, which you know, I was younger for, but I remember. Or, you know, there's there's moments in history where there's sure. you rely on history. And, and and the beauty of America, the reason my family moved here from Iran is there's faith in our system here that, that in moments of, of crisis, the, the federal government will, will have our backs. In this scenario, um, that, didn't, that didn't happen. And it, and it didn't happen, you know, and it, it, some would argue it, it still hasn't happened, right? Um, and I, that's, I don't want to get into political because, again, I'm, I don't, the, while I do talk about politics, I explain about my experience. It's, I don't want to be, it's not, for me, it's, this isn't political. It's just the facts of my experience. Um, when the president of the United States says it's not a big deal or you can inject bleach or you can, or he get himself gets sick, he's about to be on a ventilator. Like, like now studies, reports have come out, like, dude was in trouble. You don't fly a guy two miles down the street. Like, that should tell you something, right? I, I knew that the moment that I saw, like, I'm like, wait, they put this guy in a helicopter from the White House to Walter Reed. Like, I don't know if you guys have familiar with D.C. I went to college here. Walter Reed and the White House are not that far. Especially if you have a motorcade, you can just zip right up the street, right? Yeah, won't take long. No, and, and the fact that they had to do that and the fact that um, it, it just – it would have been something if he had just come out after that and said, you know, crap, that was hard. Maybe this I was wrong really about bad, this. Yeah. This is bad. I don't want anyone to experience what I experienced. Guess what? I got this amazing drug, by the way, the monoclonal antibodies, which he got, which had not fully come out yet at the time. There's hope. We're doing some great things. Um, rather, it's just it's just leadership, and it's it's, it's like how can you trust trust what further said? And again, this is not a reflection of 
the party, right? I mean, I think it's a reflection of the person, right? There, I'm sure there are Democratic leaders that are equally as horrible when it comes to this, these types of statements. Um, but just some level of empathy and sympathy and recognition that this is a hard thing. And then policy implications of that. So um, whether it's to free up funding, free up um, drug. I will say Operation Warp Speed, which made them vaccine. So you want an example of good leadership. Um, we saw what could happen if you put all the might of, of, of the research community, you clear up the, the bureaucratic red tape that the federal government was able to clear up, and you put all this money behind something and you have processes move forward fast, we got a vaccine in a year. It's I mean, amazing. That is that is really impressive. Um, the Trump administration should get credit for that. Um, but that's an example of what they did well. But there are a lot of things in which they did not do well. Well, and economically, they did take care of people. I mean, all the people that worked that's for right. us got. I mean, got money to be able to live and pay their rent and things. And certainly, as a business, we were able to you know continue forward and are still open and available. And most restaurants, I think, did leave and hotels live through the pandemic largely due to the federal response. And that's economically huge. And that's that. really important. But, and, that, and that's kind of the confusing part is, well, when you get, you know, A and B and we execute these things correctly, where was the denial on the, the actual existence of what was going on? It's like, well, we responded positively here and positively here and causing and getting that, you know, getting the vaccine was amazing. I had COVID before and after, and it was so much worse before I had it sure. the same month that president Trump did. And it was not a good time. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> I couldn't get out of bed for four and a half days. And I'm a pretty able-bodied person. And, but then I had it last summer and you know, it was like having a cold. Yeah. You know, but I've also had all my vaccinations. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's right. Now there's, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I do, I, but I think that's an example of, um, I think it's leadership and messaging, right? Um, you just, you know, I don't have a good answer for you other than, uh, again, my North Star was always, always be transparent, let the science and the experts lead. And it's it's easy for me maybe to do that. Like, it's just easy. So I recognize the fact that I could probably do that because I had a job. Like, I was a volunteer in this role. I had a job in a in place that supported me and, and, and it allowed me to be, have a little more freedom. Um, and um, Mayor Cooper was, was very supportive as, as well. But maybe perhaps if I had to run a re-election or I had – some nations. I don't know. I, I can't, I don't know why one wouldn't want to do that, but yeah. Well, I guess when you throw in the election results, that probably is part of, because the book, you know, your book kind of ended after one year, but you know, obviously COVID went on Yeah. for us as business people. The hardest time was, uh, you know, new year's 2022 yeah. when we were closed for four days, we couldn't get it. We didn't have anybody to staff the restaurant because they all had COVID when Omicron, you know, hit the restaurant. I mean, it was an economic catastrophe. I remember looking with Brandon at the end of January results, and I'm like, that's the biggest negative number I've ever seen in my oh life. My <laughs> oh, I'm waiting tables. You know, I mean, I'm <laughs> there was a day when I was managing, and three of the managers were waiting tables, and I'm like, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> One last time, a quick word from our sponsors. When you hear that sound, it's probably too late. You need a guy. I want to be your guy. I'm Kevin with Corson Fire and Security, and I'm a Restaurant Territory Account Manager. Do you know who's doing your inspections at your restaurant? Please reach out to me at 615-974-2932, and I'll be glad to come out and take a quick look and look at all your fire safety inspection needs. If you're building a new restaurant, we can help with that too. As far as kitchen suppression, fire extinguishers, emergency lights, we do it all. One stop, one shop. Call Kevin at 
972-974-2932. Let me be your guy, Nashville. We are joined with Jason Ellis from Supersource Nashville. They have been a sponsor for this podcast for almost three years. We are so honored to work with them. This is a great company and a great man. Jason, what can people expect if they give you a call? Come out, do a complete audit of their facility, see in which ways we could help them approve, if any, and see what we can do as far as helping them save some money. So the first thing they got to do is just give us a call, 770-337-1143, or they can email me directly at jellis at supersourceinc.com. We'll come out, take a look at your operations, see in which ways we can help. That's amazing. So if you're out there right now listening to this, call Jason Ellis or email him today. What Chefs Want story is incredibly unique. The owner, Ron Turnier, met with a bunch of chefs in Louisville back in the early 2000s and asked them one simple question. What do you want? And the chefs, they responded emphatically. We want deliveries on Sunday. We want to be able to split any item that you sell. We want a frictionless experience where we feel like we're being served. And so you know what he did? Something crazy. He did just that. So What Chefs Want is not only a company that's delivering fresh produce, fresh seafood, fresh custom cut meats, specialty items, dairy, gourmet, all of that seven days a week. They also offer 24-7 customer support. You want to call, you want to text, you want to email, you can talk to somebody 24-7. Get your delivery seven days a week and an amazing selection of products. That is What Chefs Want. So if you ever wonder, why do they call it that? That's your reason. Check them out at whatchefswant.com. Bob, you got to jump in where you got to jump in and do the things you got to do. So, I mean, that's a good, we got like 10 minutes left. All right. How fast this thing goes. And again, thank you so much for coming in and everything that you've obviously done for our city. Where are we at now? What can you give us like a, what what are you doing now? What is life like now? (laughs) Well, you know, post uh, everything. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that question in two ways. First of all, just with the the boring medical stuff. I mean, I think as as a COVID, as you pointed out, we're at a good place, right? I, I think people know how to take care of themselves. There's medicines. We've all lived there. We're sitting here in a small room. It's great. I just went on a big trip. Where I'm at right now is I probably like everyone am not the same person as as I was when when this all started. Um, I've I've grown. Personally, a, a, a amazing. My relationship has always been, thank goodness, really great with my wife and my kids. But it definitely got stronger during this. I mean, Helen went through a lot. I was able to do what I did again. I told you my priorities have always been family, patients, everything else. It really became the city, family, and 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 patients, and everything else. And and for a while, and it really left an impact. Um, and I didn't really fully realize how much it left an impact until I recently had a conversation with the kids over dinner about. Um, something and they had a visceral reaction. There was there was an opportunity to, to presented, and they had a visceral reaction of what they wanted me to do or not to do. And I was like, wow, that came from all that. And and it's really because they were young, right? I had a kindergarten, a first grader, and a third grader when the pandemic started. Um, the kindergartner and the first grader, by the way, never remembered school without a mask, and, and which I always <laughs> thought was fascinating um, when we finally got rid of masks, right? Um, but but more so, what I've really seen is I've grown such an admiration for the city. I've seen met so many amazing people. Like my bubble of just being in the hospital burst, and I look at I'm sitting here with you two today, or <laughs> um, or I've I've met people in the music industry, or I've met people in education, 
um, business owners, man, there's so many great people in the city. Everyone, most of, um, I think everyone running for mayor, like I know, right? And it's that's really cool to see. Like it's been so for me, it's been really neat to to meet some amazing people. It gives me a lot of hope for where the city is going. Uh, me personally, I mean, I'm operating. I've I've the skills I've learned um, won't won't go away, and you know I've have leadership opportunities within within where I work and. Um, but it just makes me grateful for every day, even more than it was before. I mean, as a trauma surgeon, I really every day saw some bad stuff. So I was just grateful for every day, um, just based on like I see people get hurt all the time, but even more so every day. And it's 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 great. I mean, I've, I'm really fortunate and, and love every day. Steven, you have anything? Did, every, did everybody, I mean, do you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, we would ask people sometimes is, did you know anybody personally who died of COVID? I mean, yes. my father and aunt both died in the early months of COVID, but neither of them died of COVID, yeah. you know, and certainly we have known other people who did, but did, I mean, any personal story there? Cause from the medical, from being in the hospital, obviously where you might see a lot of people die, the personal side is, is more real. So yes, I, on both sides, right. I, I had um, patients who came in with trauma. I wrote about one of them in the book. Um, like again, a bad car wreck, they come and we tested everyone and they're positive. Mm-hmm. And then the trauma didn't kill them weeks later. Um, they died from COVID uh, and, and I know people are like, well, what, what did we, was it COVID? And it was, you know, like all the numbers game. No, yeah. the guy died from COVID. Like he didn't die from his car wreck. It was yeah. very evident. And then I had, um, in the early days, especially I had like close friends whose parents got really, really sick, like near death. I had, um, some people I worked with whose um, family members died. Um, like people I know who died, those laws, lo- those were not lost upon me by any means. And then, I mean, and I, you know, I mean, then there was people we knew, like John Prine, like we knew as Very a nice, as a yeah. society. Like I didn't know John Prine, um, who died. Council members who died. Um, but yeah, I, I, I knew pers- people personally died, and I knew their stories, and I knew some of them. Um, some of them never got the vaccine, and 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 they could have. And I don't. I I still. And I know their kids. Like there's one person I'm thinking of right now, like smart healthcare filled kids, and the the mom is like. I'm not doing that. I even had a a a f- physician friend of mine who literally w- has got had got so far out here that he refused to take a vaccine and lost his job and like his livelihood as a really successful surgeon. And I can't reconcile that either, right? It so doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, so, but yeah, I I knew people in in real time and subsequently who who died and were really sick. Wow. I mean, that's this is a real. I mean, what an amazing past three years. I mean, how much we've learned, how much, I think as a society, we've come back. People ask me, they said, in your restaurants, or how are people? I go, I think people are still grateful to be able to go out and eat. Yeah. I think people are still grateful to see their grandparents. I think people are still grateful for these moments that we all lost for a long time. It was like, like the great reset. So, I mean, as much as, there was so many negatives and so many things. I think if you pull out as a society, some of the things that we learned or some of the perspective we were able to gain, uh, I think it was, I think it was incredible. I got two things left. One is we do a, a Gordon food service final thought. And today we're going to have two final thoughts. You're going to get to do your final thought where you kind of take us out. And then I have a final thought uh, with one more little uh, a clip I want to play, but I'm going to, Turn the mic over to you. Whatever you want to say, kind of surmise whatever you want to do. But this is your and Stephen, if you don't mind, can you film him doing this and me? So that's your final. I just like that. This is to isolate it for for yeah. uh, 
Final thought. It's all you. Well, my, my final thought is, is this. Um, I think true leadership means sometimes making the hard decisions, being willing to um, go with those decisions that are based on solid um, North Star of why you did it, but also having the humility to recognize sometimes the decisions could be wrong and need to amend. And I think that is that is how is a great way to, to lead. And then my personal final thought, honestly, is, and I know you said two, but this is one, Paul Part One is as long is, as you want to say is um, I'm really grateful for the community in which we live. I I saw a lot of good um, in this community, and a lot of people that will put their own personal interests ahead of, or will put their own personal interests second to the for the sake of of the people who they support and who they live with, and that gives me a lot of hope for the future of the city. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm going to play this last clip here, which I thought was interesting. I was bullied in elementary and middle school. I was the kid with a weird name from an evil country. Worse, I didn't even have a pair of Air Jordans, and Pother and Mamo had neither the money nor the inclination to buy them for my brother Eamon and me. Those. No, you can't hear it on there. Um, what you basically said was, look, I was bullied when I was a kid, and I just comment about Air Jordans that, you know, we, everybody else had Air Jordans. We couldn't get Air Jordans. And I heard that and I was like, wait a minute. Do you have Air Jordans now? No, I don't. No, you don't have any Air Jordans? Do you have some on, Brandon? I'm actually wearing Air Jordans I, I, right I, now. See, I have something to strive for. Lucky kid. Nice childhood. Well, <laughs> I wanted to say, um, I wanted to say thank you for everything that you have done for our city and everything that you've done, I heard that, and I went, you know what this guy needs? Are you kidding me? This guy needs his own pair oh my God. of you, Air Jordans. Are you kidding me? Those are for you. Those Holy are Holy moly. Air Jordan 1. Look at this. Mids. Yeah, pretty sweet. Oh, my God. Verified. This is truly the most amazing thing I've, I've gotten out of this whole pandemic experience. This is amazing. Those are your very own Air Jordans. They're my first pair ever. I've never so, owned a pair. Thank you. I sent I you did, a text. I, I sent him a text message like a week ago or two weeks ago, and I said, "Hey, random question." Totally had no context. What size shoe that. do you wear? And you said a thirteen. And I go, "Oh." And you said, "Why do you ask?" And I go, "Well, you're settling a bet between my friends on what size shoes doctors wear." And you're like, ah, "That's weird, but okay." That's why I wanted. Holy I wanted to get you. you a pair of Jordans Thanks, to man. say thank you. Wow! And uh, that means just, amazing. That's really kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, man. That's well, really cool. Thanks for doing this. And uh, thank you for your service to our city. Thank you for everything that you do. And um, that that that's it. Brandon's Book Club. There we go. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for both of you. You got it. All right. Big thank you to Dr. Alex Jahangir for joining us for Brandon's Book Club, for providing the book and for all of his service. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. That last part there uh, was so much fun. I remember listening to that in the book. The, the I never had Air Jordans, and I thought, I really, I know the guy's a, a, a surgeon. He can afford to buy Jordans, but there's something about it. I just felt like he was humble. He's not going to do that. And the look in his eyes when he opened, I actually went and bought him a pair of Air Jordan 1s, and it was, it was a really special moment. You can go to our Instagram. And you can watch the video of that right now at Nashville Restaurant Radio. Uh, really, really cool moment. What we did not do was a Gordon Food Service final thought. 
And I wanted to give a final thought right now. I'm going to do it for you. And my final thought is around Stephen Smithing. So Stephen, I don't know if you hear him on the show from time to time, but Stephen is the owner of the restaurants. And this guy, I want to say for a second what he means to me because he's the most supportive person I can even imagine. He is... um, He's always had my back. And even when I do these book clubs and maybe nobody shows up or maybe nobody reads the book or just a few people or whatever it is, he is right there reading the book, talking about it with me. He supports what I do for this podcast. He is just a, uh, he's an amazing guy. And I want to say thank you. And if you don't work for somebody that you feel that way about, look in the mirror, go find somebody to work that way because uh, I work with some very, very special people, and uh, he's our leader, and I'm just I'm honored to work with him and to have him as a friend. And I wanted to say that on the show because you hear him from time to time, and that's really him just being awesome, jumping in there and helping out where he can, and it's an honor to have him on the show, and it's hard to work with him and to call him a friend. So that's my final thought today. I wanted to give a shout-out to Stephen for being amazing, and uh, he's a very special person in my life. So there it is. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for next month's book club. We're really excited. The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Uh, I will be posting at Brandon's Book Club on Facebook. So look forward to joining you there. Hope you guys are being safe out there. Love you guys. Bye-bye.